for honoring the Lord. Most of you were here last Sunday morning. Pastor Andre Van Zeel surprised us by going to an epistle, surprised me. Most of his sermons have come from the Old Testament, and he went to the epistle of James, the letter of James, the fifth or the first chapter. And he, the second verse is the scripture, Beloved, count it all joy. Y'all remember that? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, King James English. I'm a King James person, diverse temptations. Now, he expounded that passage of Scripture by reading it from multiple translations. In essence, even though I don't believe he read from the Amplified Bible, but he amplified the verse's meaning by by reading it from the various translations that, that we're to, as things in our life happen to us that are sometimes negative, we're not to always shun everything. That sometimes where he, one of the translations said, embrace them. Embrace these as friends. Many of us have had a difficulty in doing that, including myself. Things that are often viewed negatively, I typically want to resist. Usually I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? And so I, and so I, I appreciate the sincerity that Pastor Andre spoke with when he said, I don't like that. I need it, but I don't like it. He was just being honest with us. And I've been meditating upon it to connect it to something that God put in my heart just a few weeks earlier. So if that's the case, and I know that the the next verses of Scripture speak about patience here in in that context, that let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. But let's just tag team it for just a moment. Is there and is it possible that even the author James who challenges us with this great word that we as believers should somehow find the spiritual force of joy when we fall into diverse temptations, trials and difficulties and situations? How do I learn to first cope and possibly can I arrive at a place where I can not only just cope but can I overcome? Can I be made the overcomer in that situation that I'm deemed as a diver or many temptation or trial. I believe that the Apostle James kind of brings the answer to this, this little puzzle that he's put out by this exhortation here in the fifth chapter of the very same book that bears his name. And it's in the 13th verse here. For he says here, Is any among you afflicted? Now the word afflicted in the Greek actually means are you being challenged right now? Are you in hardship? Are you facing adversity? Are you in that season in life when things are coming against you? Previously, he said, count it all joy. So you have to, to a degree, embrace it. So how do I learn to first cope with it? And then secondly, can I ever arrive at the place where I believe that by the power of the will of God and the word of God, I can overcome it? then what's my response to those many temptations? What's my responsibility when I find myself the center of affliction? Sometimes you find yourself the center of attention. What about when you find yourself the center of affliction? What should I do? Let him... It's on the board, people. We all work with me here. Let him pray. Let him pray. Didn't say call the prayer chain. Didn't say come and be anointed with oil. 
That's the 14th verse. The 14th verse is if you are sick, call for the elders of the church. The word sick in Greek is actually you're feeble. You might be so feeble that you've lost strength to pray for yourself. But here when you're afflicted, what's your first response to be? Your source of strength, but to pray. But to trust in the Lord, to wallow out a safe place of prayer. So I believe, and what I want you to go with me for just a few minutes, for a little bit today, is I want you and I to see that prayer is our source of strength that we gain the ability to first cope because when you find yourself afflicted, you got to first have a coping mechanism. Because if you don't, you're going to be overwhelmed or you're going to do, if you're not overwhelmed, you'll have a knee-jerk reaction to it. Because when you take a blow, then you're going to want to respond. And so, but prayer is that calming, coping mechanism. I get in the presence of God and I find His presence, His grace, His goodness, His strength, and then I'm able to cope. But I want to do more than just cope. I want to learn through the process and the power of prayer if I discern that this situation is of the adversary or is an affliction or a tribulation that's sent to destroy me, can I, through the power and the potential that prayer holds, believe God that that thing's going to be rebuked and I'm going to be delivered from it? Come on, I believe that, and I hope you do as well. You and I, as believers, we have to learn to pray. Is that true? We have to learn to pray. That's the question. Shane mentioned it two weeks ago, or last week actually. That was the question that had been posed by Jesus' disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. And the reason why that they would ask such a question is that being Hebrew boys and being raised in the temple and being a part of prayer, they had understood one measure, one component of prayer, sometimes even ritualistic prayer as supposed by the Pharisees, but Jesus exhibited a different type of prayer. Jesus exhibited a solitary prayer. He would oftentimes rise. Mark 1 says Jesus arose a great while before it was yet day, departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. When Jesus found the tension of the crowds coming to him, wanting to make him king, he would send them away and he would depart to a solitary place and there would pray. The night that he was about to choose or the day he was about to choose his disciples, his 12 who would walk with him, narrowing down the 70 to 12, he would actually go and spend the entire night in prayer. And you and I are most familiar with the passage of Scripture, the Gospels, that records Jesus' triumphal prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Under the full light of the Passover moon, Jesus Christ bowed with his head uh, pierced to even even before the crown of thorns would be upon it, his bloodlets began to fall off of his own forehead as if it was sweat because of the weight of anxiety, the things, the afflictions that were coming upon him. But where did he find his solace? Where did he find his strength? And where did he find the ability to first cope and eventually overcome? But prayer. So no wonder the disciples said, Lord, because they knew by what he had taught them, they would one day be the center of affliction. Right? they would need to be able to identify and respond the way that he did because he had already told them, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you as well. And you're going to need to be able to work this out in prayer. Does that make sense today? And so it's a valid prayer, and so rightfully so, they asked that question. So learning how to pray involves some things that I'd like to touch on, just three things real quickly today, just nuggets to lay a little bit of a doctrinal foundation from where we're going to go into the Old Testament in a few moments. I believe learning how to pray first involves Scripture reading. I believe the Scriptures give us multiple examples of prayer, and it distinguishes, if you're a student of the Word, it will distinguish the various types of prayers because there are different types of prayers. 
that we see in the Word of God. And some people have never developed prayer beyond just simple petition. When we say pray, all they know is petition. Ask, ask, ask. And they don't really know anything beyond it. There are different depths of prayers. The apostle said this, first of all, let prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Ephesians 6 mentions supplications and prayers. So there are various types of prayers. Did you know that even the temple or the tabernacle approach to God is a model of prayer? It's an image of prayer for just a moment. The outer court where the first was the brazen brazen, uh, laver where the, the priest would wash. That's the outer court of your prayer time. That's your repentance. That's where you're confessing. That's where you're trying to just get the junk of the world out of your mind when you're in prayer. How many of you know it takes washing before you ever get to the good stuff in prayer? I got to get stuff off of my mind before I can get the good stuff on my mind. So I have an image even in the tabernacle. Then I come to a brazen altar where I do make petition and intercession. It's there that I hold to the horns of the altar. It's there that I present myself a living sacrifice. But because of Jesus' shed blood, I have access to the inner court. Whereas the lampstand there, and so I have illumination. I have revelation into the person of Christ. I can turn my eyes upon the Lord. I can see him in the theater of my mind. I can meditate upon his goodness because of the value and the power that prayer holds. And then because of the goodness of the power of his blood, that you and I have access to the holiest of all, to the very sovereign presence of God that sometimes words are even limited in that presence. It's there that it's mostly just the corporate worship, the solitude of just being in the presence of God and communing with him out of your spirit. He has sent his spirit to our spirits, joined with our spirits, declaring us to be children of God And sometimes it's in that deep innermost worship and prayer that I just commune with the Father. So you listen, without the knowledge of the Word of God, you'll be in a shallow, you'll be on the shallow end of the pool all the days of your life. If you don't get the knowledge of the Word, you cannot develop in prayer without accurately, rightly dividing the Scriptures. How many of you can identify me? Prayer must be according to His will. John said if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if he hears us, we have the very petitions that we've desired of him. So I have to pray according to his will. But I also have to pray in harmony with his word. I can't pray things that are outside of the harmony of the scriptures, the, the, what the scripture affords, things that you know are consistent with the revelation of the plan and the purposes of God. And only by a knowledge of scripture can I, can, I, can I recognize this. I have to pray in harmony with his word, and I have to pray a conformity to his expectation for me. Remember Jesus' petition in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there be any other way, There was another way, but you and I wouldn't be able to have access to God's eternal redemption. Father, if it be any other way, then take this cup from me. But nevertheless, how many know there are times in prayer you got to attach the nevertheless? Not as I will, Father, but as thou wilt. I must be conformed to your will for my life. So you cannot pray outside of the will of God nor pray in unbelief and expect against God's direction and his aid. Does that make sense? We have to pray through the knowledge of Scripture. Do you want to learn how to pray? Number two, let me just tell you this. Then pray with others. Get connected to people that have an anointing in prayer. James chapter 5 again says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Let me say this. Get in an environment of prayer. Move alongside of people who are fervent in spirit. Get alongside of people that you know that when they pray, you can feel the presence of God. 
I'm telling you, the anointing is tangible. It has a fragrance to it. When somebody's praying and they've got an anointing on their life, uh, it doesn't take long for you that are the listening audience to suddenly you're, you, you, you feel pulled towards that person. I'll tell you, you want to learn to pray, then when they're praying, uh, get alongside them. Don't always run to them asking them to pray for you. We've made people, men and women in the church, dependent upon other people's prayer. If any man is afflicted, let him pray. That's the text today. But there's still a powerful principle of you just connecting. When my first duty station, when I was in the Air Force at England Air Force Base, and the, my, my uh, immediate supervisor was an E-7 Master Sergeant, and I was an Airman Basic E-1, but he, I had confessed the call to preach, and I would preach since I was 16, and I was 18 years of age then, and he, uh, he, he found out that I had confessed the call to preach. He said this, he said, I'm glad to have you in this office because if you work with a painter, you'll get paint on you. And I didn't catch it at first because I'd never heard that but in essence, what he was saying, maybe what's on me might get on him. You want to learn to pray, then get alongside somebody that's got an anointing on their life. Come on. And just tell as close as they'll allow you to. And I'll tell you, if you're not careful, something that's on them will eventually fall on you. Well, that's a good word right there. You'll be like Elisha. That's what that was, if you can't see that in my mind. You're thinking, wow, that's very demonstrative, but I have no clue why our pastor is bowing like that. I was Elisha catching the mantle of Elijah. Number three is practice prayer. Just simple principles to give you today. You got to practice it. What I mean by practice it is you just simply have to pray. You just got to start somewhere. I'm not talking about a rehearsed prayer copied from a book, though I'm not necessarily preaching against that. Sometimes that's a, a, a powerful way to gain uh, the, the, the beginning stages of prayer. But rather, let me just say this, read the, the scriptures, pray with others, and just start the practice of it. And if I can give you any word of exhortation that is from my own personal um, experiences gleaned from the teachings of Jesus, be audible in your prayer. Be audible. If you're in an environment where you feel like you can't be, you can't be audible, then get in an environment where you can be audible. Because when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, what did he say? He said, when you pray, say. How I many you know faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? And the more word that you get in you, I'm telling you what will happen. It cannot, it, it's, it's a supernatural process. The more word that you get in you, when you begin to pray, the more word's coming out of you. And so as I pray the word of God, then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As I'm audibly speaking the word in my prayer, then my faith is believing what I'm saying. And I'm learning to trust in God. I'm hearing the scriptures and I'm grasping hold of the promises of God. So be audible. And I know there are times that a, in, a, in a public setting that you might feel limited. But don't, don't, don't limit your prayer, the entirety of your time of just getting alone with God to a few short minutes on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. If you do, you're going to be in a shallow in prayer all the days of your life. Prayer's got to become habitual. It's got to be something that you've got to have. You've got to have his presence. I'm telling you, the thing in my life, let me just share with you this next thought just real quickly before I share that. I want to give you two great challenges that you and I must learn to overcome in order to develop a habitual lifestyle of prayer. Number one is distraction. Misplaced priorities. Oftentimes it seems that we do everything else but pray. 
As a pastor, when I come to you, I always want to come zealous of the kingdom of God. I want to have a zeal and I want to have an anointing. I want to be like Moses. I want to have come down from the mountain and have a glow or glory or an anointing upon my life. And there are times just like anybody else that the issues of life seem to separate me from that presence of God. And I can tell you, the thing that means the most to me in that moment, that keeps me the spiritually the sharpest, as much as I value reading the Scriptures, as much as I want to be a student of the Word of God and read and prepare sermons and all of those things, it's prayer that keeps the fire burning. I can, I can have not had a great week of devotion. I can have not had a great week of study. But if I've had a great week where I've been in the closet... And his presence has silhouetted my life. Then I can come up on this platform without four points in a poem. Come on, somebody. And I'll have a word in my spirit because I have the anointing on my life from being in his presence. So it's a place where I sharpen myself the deepest. It's the place where I feel the strength of God given to me. As a, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a leader in this church family. And the same principle applies to you as well. You may not stand on this, play, on this stage and you might not be behind this pulpit, but you still need the power that prayer releases in your life. It, the scripture said in James chapter 5, it says that the effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man or woman of God availeth much. The Amplified Bible says it makes much power available. The effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man or woman of God will make much power available in your life. You don't feel power in your Christian experience. You feel overwhelmed by circumstances. You find yourself the center of affliction. Where are you going to gain the strength to be able to cope? Come on, somebody. Through prayer. Through prayer. I believe in counseling. That's a great thing. But counseling's not the secret. Come on, somebody. I, we do everything oftentimes but pray. We run to everybody else. We stand in every prayer line rather than just get along with God. Come on, if you're afflicted, you need to pray. You need to call upon the name of the Lord. Secondly, the last of the challenges, only two, just briefly laying a little bit of doctrinal basis concerning prayer today that will hinder a lifestyle of habitual prayer is a sinful lifestyle. Now y'all shout me down really good here today. I felt Jesus. Let's take up an offering right now. Hmm. Let's be honest. You cannot pray in the full assurance of faith and be living a lifestyle of sin. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that the Lord will not hear me. Then you cannot pray in the full assurance of faith when you're living a lifestyle of sin. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? We live in the culture today where everybody, you know, the Bible says in the book of Judges that there was no king in Israel in those days, so every man did what was right in his own eyes. We live in the re uh, replication of that culture today, even in the church. People just do what's right in their own eyes. Well, you can do what's right in your own eyes, but I'll tell you, heaven can become like brass to you if you're not careful. And you're not going to gain a full assurance of faith because faith is grieved. Your spirit is grieved. Are y'all hearing me today? When you're living a lifestyle of prayer. Come on, our lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle. That's why we need repentance. How, how many believe that we need to repent and cry out to God and say, God, forgive me and cleanse me and change my way, change my path, God, change my, the things that I do, order my steps differently, God, so that I can walk in fellowship with you. Those are just a little couple of nuggets to just drop down in your spirit that in my meditations that 
I discovered these are great challenges to developing that habitual lifestyle of prayer, and you have to deal with these things. You have to allow yourself, you have to prevent yourself from becoming distracted. You have to find the solitary place, and you have to begin to just release the gift of prayer that's contained on the inside of each one of us. And then secondly, do not allow a sinful lifestyle. I'm telling you, the wages of sin is death. It is. Nobody in the church quarrel today, like, it feels like, you know, we can talk about it, but it's, I, we can talk about it. We can talk about it. We've got to deal with these things. They're destructive to our lives. Come on, somebody. And I could, I, I could easily divert right there and stay with it, but I will not for just the, the, the context today. So for just a moment, let me ask you this real quickly. There are many uh, facets of prayer, different types of prayer, praying, and praying for different purposes. There's communion. There's seeking God. Many, much of my prayer, I'm just being honest with you as a pastor, and I'm sure Scott could uh, affirm this as well. Much of our prayer uh, certainly is intercession for our church, but that's not the majority of it. Most of it is just seeking the presence of God. I just want to be in his presence. I want to I be like Adam in the Genesis of old. I want to have walked in the garden with him in the cool of the day. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just want his presence, that communion, that, that, that sweet fragrance, that fellowship. But there's also a prayer that I believe that you have to have in your uh, weaponry, if I may use that, a prayer, or your resources of prayer, is prayer when you need relief from affliction. The psalmist said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many, but out of them all, the Lord hath delivered me. Come on, when you find yourself overwhelmed, first you need to learn to cope. But I tell you what, I'm not the person to allow those situations to back me in the corner without looking for a way to get through this thing. I don't want to live all my life having to cope with some things that may not be God's best for my life. Does that make sense today? I want to find myself at a place where I believe God, but with God all things are possible. And if prayer can change me to the degree that it, I can cope, then prayer can also change the situation that I'm dealing with. Come on, somebody. So I want to just share with you for just a moment of time. I want to take you back biblically to a time in the days of ancient Israel. Go back there and for just a moment, feel in a few moments, we'll begin to post some, some scriptures on the screen. But I want, I, want to, I want to just take you to a time and remind you of the nation of Israel for just a moment. Israel who is in our prayers this week. The kingdom of Israel was divided upon the death of Solomon. Rehoboam, his son, responded to the... Um, the unwise counsel of a group of young adults who moved him to, uh, to not handle people correctly. And so therefore the kingdom was divided. It happened early in the book of First Kings, midway through the book of First Kings. The kingdom was divided. The northern tribes, ten tribes are in what's called Israel. The two southern tribes is what's called Judah. And so as you read the book of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, you will find those compelling accounts of the lineage of those two uh, when often we think of Israel, but again, you have to read it accurately. Israel then is applied to the northern kingdom that eventually became the capital city was Samaria. You may have met, remember a few sermons ago, I preached about Ahab, how that he wanted the, the, uh, the garden of Naboth. Does anybody remember that sermon? And he was at Samaria, and so Samaria became the capital. But Jerusalem was still the capital of Judah, the two southernmost tribes. 
Judah would actually oftentimes have a godly king. Their, their lineage was much greater. In Israel, the northern tribes, it was filled with apostasy. It was, there was apostasy in Judah, but occasionally along the way, a man would emerge that had the gift and the callings of God upon his life. Thus is the case. The 13th king of Israel was Ahaz, or of Judah, was Ahaz, and he was a wicked king, and he died prematurely. And Scripture says that his son took his throne. He was, 14, he was the 14th king of Judah, and he was 25 years of age when he was first crowned king. Well, you know, that's a pretty young age to have the responsibilities of governing the nation from the throne at Jerusalem. But this is what's powerful about his name. By the name, uh, his name was Hezekiah. It's not a book in the New or in the Old Testament. Much to many of you surprise. It sounds like it should be a book, the Book of Hezekiah, but it was not. It's actually the name of a king, the 14th king of Judah. What's powerful about his life is Scripture tells us that he walked, remember, he broke the parental example that had been set in front of him by Ahaz when he followed the Lord. And from the very first month of his reign, the Bible says that he did this. He repaired the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord had been shut up. Nobody was sacrificing. They weren't bringing offerings. He opened the temple back up and said, we're going to worship God. First month of his reign, he begins to restore temple worship. And the Bible says that he walked in the ways of his father David. And I think there's a few passages of Scripture that we might actually highlight there uh, in just a moment of time for you to see. That's, I believe it's in 2 Chronicles 29 and 2. It says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. If you follow his life, you'll discover that he trusted in God with all of his heart and he led the kingdom in both national and religious reformation. How many of you would like to see that in America today? God give us a man or give us a woman with the spirit of Hezekiah upon them. And the scripture tells us that he did things like this. He strengthened in his national defense. He secured the water source of the, of the Jihan Spring, which is very, very important uh, towards the, 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 the safety of the, of the city of Jerusalem, to which I'll have to address at a later date and time. He repaired and restored the temple, as previously mentioned. He also reinstalled the Passover. And he actually sent out messengers to invite men and women from all over the nation, not just Judah, but he sent it from Dan to Beersheba, the northern and the southernmost tip of Israel. He sent the word out and said, look, I know we're divided nationally, but we can sure celebrate about how that God brought us out. God brought us out by the power of the Passover lamb on that faithful night. And, and he invited everybody to come. And the Bible actually even says there was not a Passover in Israel like it uh, since the days of the Exodus. It was such a moving experience. And he established the other national feasts. And so it was a tremendous thing. He did all of these things with all of his heart. As a matter of fact, I'd like to put that verse in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21. Just see this for just a moment because he did this with all of his heart. Hezekiah, throughout Judah, he wrought that which was good. He did what was right and was truth before the Lord is God, 21st verse. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and he prospered glory to God. How many believe that's the same principle that applies to us as well? That if we'll seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, God will prosper us. 
Come on, God will move on your behalf. As you're walking in accordance to his revealed will for your life, you will discover that God will move. And these are, this is what was transpiring early in the days of, of Hezekiah's uh, reign as king. And some years have passed. And, but I want, what I want you to notice real quickly is that 2 Chronicles 31. If you have your Bible there, you can open, but you can follow it on the screen. But we're going to go to 2 Kings in a moment. But I want you to see is 2 Chronicles verse 21, the 31st chapter, the 21st verse. That's the last verse. And then 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1. It's on the screen. So see this. So the Bible was concluding as the author there is looking at Hezekiah's life and he's recounting and retracing all the powerful things of reformation that he led the nation in. And the Bible measured him up in the shadow of his father David. As a matter of fact, in one place, the Bible says that there was no king before him and no king like him who served God with all of his heart. And we read there in the 21st verse that God prospered him because he was so passionate in his pursuit after God. He had set his heart. He had opened the temple. He had restored the Passover. People were bringing the offerings in. They were worshiping the Lord. And how many of you know that when you as an individual begin to move forward in the kingdom of God, when you begin to come out of darkness into God's kingdom, into the light of God and His love, how many of you know that the adversary will take notice of it? And so now we see the Assyrian king Sennacherib. The Bible says this here, that after these things and the establishment thereof, the Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came. Assyria controlled all of the region of the Tigris and Euphrates River. They were the dominant power in that day. 300 years, they were a brutal regime. And they conquered. They were conquests and conquerors. They were brutal. Studies show us and they have reliefs found where they would, they would impale, their, or impale their, their, their captives. And, and so they come against the nation of Judah. They come in. Actually, did you know that, the, the, that, that in certain um, archaeological finds that they have a relief that records this invasion into Judah and they captured 46 cities, 46 cities of Judah and they camped against those fenced cities and look what this, and they fought to win them for himself. See, isn't it amazing to me, it seems, I see this as a pastor, when people begin to move forward in God, when people set their heart and say, you know what? I'm going to break from this past lifestyle that's been lived in front of me. My family perhaps didn't live a godly life, and I'm going to begin to move forward. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to follow the Lord. It seems to me that it always is followed by a season of great trial and affliction. Does that make sense today? Have you seen that perhaps in your own life? Thus was the case with Hezekiah and ancient Israel or ancient Judah. And so real quickly, let me see if I can paint this picture for you for just a moment of time. When that happened, that first invasion, Hezekiah initially, because they took many of the cities of Judah, but they didn't necessarily come to Jerusalem. So here's what Hezekiah did. He fell prey to the threat. He fell prey to it. Let me, let me just rehearse a couple of these things, and you can follow with me if you so choose. It's in the book of 2 Kings now, the 18th chapter. And we're into the 13th verse. And so here's where it's recorded. Now just follow with me for just a moment. And let's just allow this to unfold. Unfold. Because we're learning about something here today that's going to help us. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fenced cities of Judah and he took them. And here's what Hezekiah's initial response was. 
when he, when he sent to the king of Assyria, the king of Assyria was at, La at Lachish, and he was fighting against Lachish. But he had sent word that he wanted tribute. So Hezekiah succumbed to the pressure. How many of you have ever succumbed to the pressure of affliction? You just felt you didn't mean to, but you did, and he fell prey to it. And he said, if I've offended you, then return from me. That which you put on me, I will bear. Whatever you tax me, that's what I'll pay. And so the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. At the time that that was written, it was $115 million as of silver and $172 million of gold. And so when that taxation was so heavy upon this small kingdom of Judah, he had to go and begin to just search all of his coffers. And he searched through his own king's house and he brought all the gold that he could find. And oddly enough, notice the 15th verse in that passage, Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. If you're a student of scripture, you'll be reminded that Hezekiah led a reformation to people begin to bring gold and silver and resources and the tithe was present in the house of God. And now the affliction, how come the tithe is the first to go? I won't even go there. Don't get me started on that one. But it seemed like as, as soon as he made a decision that he was going to follow God, the adversary comes, and now he's having to go into the temple, the, into the treasury of the temple and take the silver out. And then the taxation grew so great that the very doors of the temple that he had overladen with gold in his reformation of the temple, he had to go and have architects chisel the gold off just to pay the tax. It's a difficult season. Hezekiah succumbed to the pressure as many of us have in our own life as well. The 17th verse. This is the second invasion. So the initial invasion was not enough because the king of Assyria had come about the fenced cities of Judah but not Jerusalem. So the second invasion brings Assyria to the walls of Jerusalem, the great walled city. Verses 17 to 37 give us an account of this invasion. And you've got to see this. And let's just listen very carefully. I'm going to glean over some of the words very quickly because of my inability to pronunciate them accurately. But the king of Assyria sent some of his messengers uh, to King Hezekiah with a great host. Almost 200,000 men surrounded the city. They went up and they came to Jerusalem. Now the city is walled. He doesn't have access to the city, inside the city, but he wants the city. His goal is to take the city. So they come up and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is the highway of the fullest field. Now follow this with me. Let the scripture speak to you today. And when they called to the king, they called out to him, to Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, and Rabshakeh, who said unto them, Rabshakeh is the, is the commander of the army, and he's now speaking, and he says, send this word to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is not on the wall. Hezekiah is in the palace, but Hezekiah's messengers are on the wall, and he said, send this word to Hezekiah. I want Hezekiah to know this. Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? You say, but they were but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Hezekiah, who are you that you will rebel against me? This, uh, this, this, this 
proudful king is uttering these words. Now behold, you trust upon the staff of the bruised reed Egypt? If a man leans on Egypt, it will pierce his hand. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, if you trust in him. But if you say to me, how many of you have ever heard this whispered in your ear? We trust in the Lord our God. He said, is it not he, is it not that God that Hezekiah took away his altars? And he said, you can't worship anywhere in Judah other than Jerusalem. And now you worship before this altar in Jerusalem. He said, now therefore I pray you give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will send you 2,000 horses so that you may be able to sit upon them if you can. Look at the arrogancy here. If you can even set somebody on these horses. He said, and when thou shalt return away from the face of one captain of the least of my, of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. He said, am I now come up without the Lord? So first he is speaking against the Lord. Now he's speaking for the Lord. That's how the devil will work. First he will compad a thought in your mind, but then that you know to be of God and eventually he will so twist it that he's speaking for the Lord. He said, it was not without the Lord that I've come up. The Lord told me to go to this place and to destroy it. The Lord said go. And so Elakim, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah, and Rab, said to Rabshakeh and said, Speak, I pray thee, to your servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. But don't talk to us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people on the wall. People were afraid. The leaders were afraid that if this word continues to go out, fear is going to run paramount in the city. And the enemy won't have to knock the doors down, batter the doors down from the outside, but the people will cast the doors open in fear. And so Elohim asked that request, but Rabshakeh said to them, listen to this, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? And Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. And he said, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. For you shall not be able to, he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. Don't listen to that skinny preacher. Don't hear the word of God. Don't pay attention to all of these things. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement, a covenant with me by a present. Come to me, and I will take you to your own vine, your own fig tree, and you will drink water out of your own cistern. I will take you to a land like your own, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and honey, that you may live and not die. Don't hearken unto the church. Don't hearken unto the words of God. Don't hearken unto the preacher. He is persuading you. He's deceiving you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered all this land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of these other nations that we have conquered? Where are they? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that they have delivered their country out of mind? hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. All these accusations are being shouted from the base of the walled city of Jerusalem to cause the hearts of men and women to grow weak and feeble in fear. Nothing has changed, church family. The accuser of the brethren still today will sow seeds of doubt and unbelief and fear and intimidation in your heart and mind to try to cause you to lose faith, to cause you to give up Give in and succumb to the pressures of the age, the weight of the affliction that you're to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing God's going to work something great. You succumb to the weight. Like Job, Job's wife turned to him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? 
That's what the adversary is saying. That's what Rabshakeh is saying from his place of prominence as he looks up to the wall. The men and women are gathered. Families are gathered. Soldiers are gathered. The leaders of Israel are gathered. And he's accusing the God of ancient Israel. And he's comparing it to the other gods of the cities that they had taken previously. And he's saying, where is your God? And where is his ability to deliver you? And they took these words, Elohim, took these words, transition 19th chapter for just a moment, first verse. They took these words, and when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes in deep humility, and he covered himself with sackcloth. And notice this, and he went into the house of the Lord. But notice this, in this particular passage, it doesn't give us any record of what he did while he was in the house of the Lord. There's no record that he bowed himself over in prayer. In essence, I believe it's an example here because he fell prey to the common practice of many of us. We go to the house of God and we want somebody else to pray for us. Because notice here, he sent Elohim to the household, who was over the household. He said, I want you to go to Isaiah the prophet. And I want you to say to Isaiah the prophet, today is a day of trouble. Today is a day of rebuke and blasphemy. The children have come to birth and there's no strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Perhaps if you lift up the king Hezekiah from the courts of the temple after he's torn his clothes and he's humbling himself before God, but he's not praying on behalf of his nation and he's requesting that Isaiah the prophet pray on behalf of the nation. And Isaiah hears that word and he gets a bubbling in his spirit. It's a word from God. And he sends the word back to the king and he says thus saith the Lord. Say this to him. Thus saith the Lord. Be not afraid of his words which you have heard and which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. He said I will send a blast. What God is saying I will send a diversion. I don't even know God can divert the enemy. God can divert the enemy, the adversary, things that are coming, afflictions that are coming your way. Suddenly something can happen over here that will cause the adversary to lose his fixation with you and he becomes distracted. And when God diverted the enemy, Rabshakeh had to leave and go back to Lachish where he believed that the king uh, Sennacherib was at. When he got there, he found that Sennacherib had moved to another city because Sennacherib had heard that the Ethiopians were coming. I'm telling you, God can move everything to give you just a little bit of relief. That's why we need to trust in the invisible hand of Almighty God. That's why we count it all joy when we fall into many temptations because we know that if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his knowledge, then God is supernaturally at work moving things in my life. He can divert the enemy to give me just enough relief. Glory to God. Now, let's go a little bit further in this story. And so as things unfold, and Rabshakeh, who is the commander, in his departure, he left almost 200,000 soldiers encamped against the city. And so on the screen, the scriptures are going to unfold. So as he arrives at Lachish, he discovers that Sennacherib has moved to go and fight with the Ethiopians, who he heard was coming against him. And so Rabshakeh, though he's not at Jerusalem now, he's here. What I gave you. He begins to write letters. He begins to say things to the people. He begins to accuse Hezekiah. He begins to blaspheme the name of God. He begins to say, where are those gods? 
He begins to compare. Read it. It's in those passages of Scripture. Back it up for just a moment. Back it up into those. Let's go. Let's go back. Let's just read it. Let's do justice to the text if we can for just a moment. I want, I want you to see this for just a moment of time. He sent letters and he said things. He said, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you. 10th verse, 19th chapter, saying Jerusalem will not be delivered into the hand of Assyria. You have heard all that the kings of Assyria have done, how that the gods of the nations delivered them when my fathers have destroyed them. Where is those? Where are those kings and where are those gods? And he fills this letter out. He writes it accusing Hezekiah, uh, promising to destroy the city, promising that he will carry Hezekiah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem back to Assyria where they will be their servants and many of them will die along the way. And he writes it and he seals it and he sends it by the messengers. And when Hezekiah is in Jerusalem, the Rabshakeh has departed. He's at Lachish, but he sends the letter to him Hezekiah can look out and the city is still surrounded by 185,000 men and so he's still the center of affliction. Come on somebody. The leader of the army may be been departed but the army is not departed and they're poised waiting on word from the king to attack the city. And so when Hezekiah gets this letter, the Bible tells us that he goes into the house of the Lord and this time it's altogether different than the previous experience when he went into the house of the Lord. For the first time he went into the house of the Lord and he's mournful and he's hurting and he's wounded and he's crying out and he's saying I want the prophet to pray for us we need the prophet but the Bible doesn't record that he asked the prophet to pray for him this time Hezekiah took that letter and he said he took that letter with all those accusations and he spread it out before the Lord and this time he didn't say I need the prophet to pray for me or I need the preacher or I need the anointing oil or I got to stand in the line. This time Hezekiah knew that he had an open heaven and this time Hezekiah said let he that is afflicted pray, let him pray and he spread it out before the Lord and he said God you're the God that sits upon the cherubims you're the God of heaven, there's no God like you. God I know that you can see, I know that you can hear, I know you're not like an idol like the kings of the other nations that have fallen you're a living true you're the only God you can see you can hear you know what he's saying God look down you see what he's doing you see the threats and the accusations and the intimidations that he's making about this house God we need you to intervene on our behalf fervent unceasing prayer made by a righteous man agitated the heart of almighty God and God sent his spirit to and the prophet Isaiah, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know. He might have been asleep. I don't know if he was in his room. I don't know if he was at a table. I don't know if he was writing. But all of a sudden, an unction began to bubble up out of his heart. And he began to write it down. See, Isaiah wrote his prophecies down. He began to write a prophecy, and he sealed it back up, and he said, take it back and read this to the king. And when the king heard what God said, I love this because I tell you, I believe there are times in my life that I've come to this house right here and I've unscrolled things before the Lord. And I've said, God, you know. Come on, somebody. God, you know what I'm going through right now. Are y'all hearing me? Am I alone up here today? God, you know. I'm, not, I'm the center of affliction right now. I've got things, Paul said, outside refinings and inside refears. I'm going through a tough time, God. I need the help of God. And Isaiah, the prophet, look at this with me for just a moment. Capture these words in the 21st verse. This is what he said. The Lord has spoken concerning the king of Assyria. The virgin daughter of Zion has despised thee. 
and she has laughed thee to scorn. So picture that in your mind. From the walled city of Jerusalem, the virgin daughter of Zion, looking down at 185,000, knowing that they represent the greatest army during their time and during their, uh, during their tenure. They, they recognize that they have conquested and conquered cities and villages and they have destroyed and they're destructive and they're brutal. But the God, God said through a prophetical word that was produced by a sincere uh, petition made by the king in the house of God when he spread out before the Lord a word when he said that the virgin daughter of Zion has looked down upon you and she's laughing at you and she's shaking her head. I just see that in the theater of my mind because there have been times I've had to do that to God, to the, to the demonic spirits. I've had to say, you know what? You said all that you can say, but you know what? No, it's not going to happen here. Not now, not this time, not no time because I'm in the will and the plan and the purposes of God. There are times you got to just shake your fingers, shake your head and say, no, it's not going to happen. You may have said it's going to happen, but God's given me a word that trumps what you've said, glory to God. He said, I want you to shake your head at the enemy. He said, who have you reproached and blasphemed that you have exalted your voice and lifted up the, your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? And then the prophet goes and I know you're going out and you're coming in. This is God speaking to the king of Assyria. He said, because your rage against me and your tumult has come up into my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose. Come on, somebody. Are y'all with me on this? See, the enemy had come in one way. And one of the prophets of old, see, you didn't catch this. Listen, real quick. One of the prophets of old said, the enemy will come in. God will scatter him. Let God arise, the enemy be scattered. So God, the enemies come against the city to destroy the city. God said, I will put my hook in his nose. He's coming to destroy you, but I'm going to put my hook in his nose and my bridle in his mouth. And he's wanting to devour. He's wanting to kill. He's wanting to destroy, but I'm going to turn him about and I'm going to send him back to where he came. Glory to God. Does that make sense to you? See, sometimes when you're in the center of affliction and things are breaking forth in your life, if you'll just learn to get alone with God, you'll lock yourself up in the power of prayer and you learn to commune with God and you spread things out before the Lord and you are are audible and you are visible and you function with anointing and you look toward heaven and you say, God, the adversary said one thing. I need you to say something else. I wrote down in my spirit that something bubbled up in my spirit. Oftentimes, it's the power of prayer that unlocks the power of prophecy that gives us the word that we now have to speak against our adversary, the devil, glory to God. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting. I don't know who's with me. There may just be a remnant, but I have been there in my life that there are things in my life that I couldn't share with anybody else, but I could unscroll it before God. And I could say, God, I need your help. I need a breakthrough. I need you to move on my behalf. I need you to do something, God. You're able to intervene. How many believe God can intervene? See, prayer could give you an ability to cope. I believe that. I believe you can learn to adapt and cope, and that's a good thing, while you wait for deliverance. You need to cope while you wait for deliverance, but don't let the devil back you up in a hole somewhere and say, to this end you were born. Burst out of that hole in the name of Jesus. Say, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. I've been made by the power and the presence of God to do great exploits for the Lord, and I'm not going to allow the, the situations of my life to limit me. So, God, I'm going to call on your name. I'm going to spread these things out before you. God will put a hook in the nose of your adversary, your affliction, your Come on. 
Man, can y'all, are y'all with me? I don't know. I was in this prayer chamber one day and I was praying and I had unscrolled something out before God and I laid it on this altar and I was walking and I was praying and all of a sudden I could feel the unction of God and the anointing of God rise up within me and I could feel, you know, every, I'm kind of like Pastor Andre. When I get my preach on, I get that black preach on a little bit. My problem is, is I have an all-white church with no real rhythm to you at all. So y'all don't help a black brother up here anyhow. So, but in my spirit, that's how I, I've got rhythm. I know I don't have any rhythm, but in my spirit I do. And when I was, when this thing's being measured out in my life, I see the afflictions of my life coming against me, but I see God putting a hook in the nose. Are y'all hearing me today? And God pulling back on that thing and saying, it's gone far enough. I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm going to take it back to from whence it came. I'm going to give you not only relief. Are you hearing me? God said, I'm not only going to give you relief, I'm going to give you deliverance. That's what I'm talking about. He said, I'm not only going to give you a space and time where the adversary is not going to bother you, I'm going to destroy your adversary. Did you know the king went to bed that night? When he went to bed, the prophecy that said, He that keepeth Israel shall not slumber, and he shall not sleep. And so the God of all glory sent an angel that walked through the camp And in one night's time, 185,000 of the most brutal warriors of their day lay dead on the ground. Hezekiah never wetted a sword. Hezekiah never launched an arrow. All Hezekiah did was spread out his petition before the Lord and trusted that God who sits on high and looks down low would hear and he would answer glory to God. Hallelujah. Pastor Brown, why do you preach such things to me today? I preach these to you because I want you to know it's not over till God says it's over. Come on, the enemy may be attempting to intimidate you. You may feel limited in your response, but I want you to know that if you will lock yourself up in prayer, if you will lock yourself up in prayer, are y'all hearing me today? Be audible, spread it out. Come on, somebody, spread it out. Write it down. I, I, I want you to, I'm just being honest. There are times I have mimicked the exact thing. I have written it down so that I could come into this house and I could say, God, if you delivered Hezekiah, you can deliver Lee Brown. Come on, are y'all with me today? Pastor Brown, this, 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 is this real? It is real. God is not a respecter of persons. Come on, is Hezekiah more righteous than you and I? Absolutely not. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, but through the power of prayer, he unlocked and locked heaven, heaven's reign. That's an eternal example for us to see that you and I, through the power of prayer, can gain the heart and the mind of God and the divine intervention of the Lord. So prayer, prayer, spread it out. Would you stand up today? I want to ask you today for just a moment of time, those of you that will, I want you to learn the method and the motion of prayer today. I want you to learn. You got a pen? Take it quickly. Take that piece of paper. Take it out. If there's something that you're dealing with that's very severe right now, that you're the center of affliction, those afflictions that are coming upon your life right now, I know you can't make a complete list. I know you won't be as thorough as that letter was that Hezekiah received. 
but you could just jot down whatever. I want to show you the motion just quickly today. You'll have to do this in your own prayer time, but I want you to see that if Hezekiah had the courage to go into the house of the Lord and spread it out, then you need it as well. Does that make sense today? If you want to leave it blank for the sake of time, then you come today. But I want to ask the people of God that find themselves in the center of affliction to come to this front for just a few moments today, and we're going to pray. I didn't say I'm going to come and begin to pray for you. The reason why I'm going to avoid doing that today, the reason why is because is any man afflicted? Come on now. Come on, we got to break our dependency upon other people being... When, when, when Hezekiah asked the prophet to pray, he got relief. But when he prayed, he got deliverance, Jeremy. Come on, are y'all with me? I think that went way over. I'm already talking past your stomach that's telling you it's time for lunch. But I'm just telling you, when he asked the prophet to pray, God gave him relief. But when he got in prayer himself, and he just shrouded himself in prayer and called on the name of the Lord, he got deliverance. And that's the word I believe somebody under the sound of my voice needs to hear today. So I want to ask you to come forward for a few moments. Take your scroll. That's just a replica just to see. You can jot something down on it and just come and stand at the front of this church for just a few moments. And we're going to spread it out before the Lord. And we're going to just pray collectively as a people. And we're going to trust that God hears and answers prayer. Does that make sense today? Come on in Jesus' name. Who will come today? Who will come?